I'm not the house of cards that falls down easily. Oh, I'm strong enough to handle what you throw at me. Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every good morning adam thanks for coming back on my show are you kidding me i love being here thank you you're welcome i've been looking forward to this me too i i love what we we came up with this on the last show that we did um and we came up with i think you came up with the title breaking the bone on toxic relationships yeah well i think we didn't talk about that on the last show but we were just talking as we usually do right it feels like we're on the show or <laughs> and uh, and we, were, we, yeah, we were talking, we were talking about after, yeah, yeah, and we started talking about breaking the bone um, on toxic relationships. And I've been thinking about, you know, not just with people, but you know, what are what other what's my relationship with money like? What what are the toxic elements of that? And my relationship with my bad habits, like where mm. where am I acting out these toxic relationships all over the place? Right. So it's interesting. Uh, it's been food for thought since we picked this topic, but we should probably start with human beings first. <laughs> yeah, we, we both <laughs> agree that this charge. might be a two-parter. <laughs> well, it's such a big. It's such a big subject. I think it is. I think we all have them. Um, these toxic relationships is like in, in my life. I have, I have like I have these high vibration relationships that I'm cultivating. And then I have these really low vibration relationships that I, that I continue to cultivate that show up. And, mm-hmm. and I guess that I, there's no way, I guess the only way to be really responsible to them is to take full responsibility for the, the, the people in the relationships that are in my life. Um, you know, to be able to say, well, if those people are in my life, I put them there. Right. 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 Uh, we're, here to learn, it, we're here to learn from them in some way or another. Yeah. Right. And it takes the, the kind of uh, it takes the blame away. I'm no longer a victim, mm-hmm. right? It's not like, oh, this person did this to me. Well, I try to kind of take that approach across the board with my life, right? Right. If it's in my life, I put it there. Right. Um, and then I, then I don't have to be a victim. Right. Uh, which, which is great. Because, um, you know, in the past, I've been like, oh, that guy, that asshole. Right. And that doesn't help me. Um, no, it doesn't. What What's a trip for me, though, is, you know, as you, I don't know, it's hard when you've been raised by narcissistic parents. My God, that sets you up for these kinds of relationships in your Absolutely. life. Absolutely. It's like a, it's like a big, you know, Tolkien vibration. <laughs> and yeah. it just, 
I find that people just show up and then I, when, when you don't know any other way, like when I was younger, I wouldn't even recognize them. It's, yeah. you know, I wouldn't recognize that these were people that were toxic. Um, and then I, I, you know, I think what, what the impetus for this conversation was, you know, I was saying to you lately, I've started to um, really do the hard thing, which is to just push those people out of my life, mm -hmm. you know, to, to let them go. Um, but maybe we should define, because I don't know that we define, maybe we should define what we mean by toxic. Like, what, what is a toxic relationship? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, well, yeah, let's do that. I mean, for me, it's... Um, Oh, gosh, it's it, when I feel used, drained, um, mm. you know, uh, I mean, obviously someone's being behaving deplorably in, in one way or another. They're, they're lying and, you know, just trying to manipulate and split and do all this, you know, all, all the stuff that toxic relationships, those kinds of things that happen in those relationships, um, those things will show up. And it can be often after, you know, uh, not having behaved that way at all. It, sometimes it happens when someone gets thrown into a pressure cooker and, you know, you may have had a very kind of ancillary relationship with someone and then you, for whatever reason, let's say you get thrown together on a homeowners association project or right. a work project and you see how they are under pressure. Hmm. And, you know, where their bad habits can come in and, and, and maybe put you at risk in some way or another, mm -hmm. um, your reputation or whatever it is. And you see how they play out. They play out their narcissism in, in that pressure cooker. And you go, man, I never saw this. Well, you weren't in that kind of a pressure cooker before. Right. You don't see that aspect. So I, 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 while, you were, uh, while you were defining it, I looked up the word toxic. Mm -hmm. This is... Uh, and it's, you know, what you would expect, poisonous, venomous, virulent, noxious, dangerous, destructive, harmful, unsafe, malignant. Um, <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> uh, so, so I guess my experience of what toxic relationships are is um, it's usually born out of some, you know, my own codependence mm -hmm. in which, uh, which a channel in which I've allowed a channel to open up uh, through which people... I allow people to tank me with their um, their unseen, unresolved issues. Yes. You know what I mean? So it, it, this idea of that it's poisonous, that it, it feels like a kind of poison where I'm not seen as I am. I'm seen as, a, a, as an extension of someone else's need, right? Or, or what they need me to be. And, it, and so the, the, the toxic component of it is I end up feeling first very anxious. This is how kind of the pattern that my... Toxic relationships run. Mm. I feel very, it, it makes me feel anxious. I feel controlled. You know, I feel like I'm going to be that, that I have to adapt my, it, it, it's more like an, uh, for, I guess toxic for me, I'm just, I didn't think to define it beforehand, but toxic is when I accommodate, right? When I, when I make myself into what someone else needs me to be. Yeah. Right? And, and, and then all kinds of uh, weird poisonous stuff gets transmitted. I get tanked with a lot of, Ooh. other people's agendas um, and, mm. and ways in which uh, like, like narcissism is a, um, is a, is a kind of poison because yes. I, I'm, I'm not a living human being to you. If I'm in a narcissistic relationship with you, if I'm in a codependent relationship with you, I'm just an object for you. Right. So okay. I go unseen and that's where the toxic going unseen, going unregarded 
uh, for me is what, what happens in toxic, some of the toxic relationships. Going unregarded. That, yeah. Yeah. Isn't that it? Is that it? That, that works. Yeah, that's, that's, that really works. I, I've had just the most deplorable, detestable, narcissistic behavior um, thrown out around in a relationship, thrown out with someone who, you know, behaves that way all the time. And, but they didn't behave that way necessarily around me or it wasn't directed at me. And somehow I think mm. that I'm going to escape that behavior. Right. I love that. <laughs> I know they cheated on their last girlfriend, a boyfriend, right. but they won't cheat on me. You know, we always think we're the exception. I, I right. love that. I do that all the time. Yeah. No, I'm different though. <laughs> yeah. Like there's a long line of, of disgruntled people who feel used and angry. And- right you know, all this stuff, but that's not going to happen to me because it was all their fault, not this person's. And then you go, okay, wait a minute. I always have to count because I will do this game. I will do this game of, well, I have had some, you know, breakups too. You know, I, you know, I start making excuses Mm -hmm. and then I sit back and go, wait a minute. I have how many successful business relationships in comparison to this other person who has had no, no successes. Like what, what, what am I comparing myself to here? <laughs> and, I, and I'm defending myself. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing too. When you, when you're, when you are in, you know, in some kind of debt because of this person, you've taken your eye off your, your life, you're, you know, you've done all these things and, and then they come around and go, you're the one that's bad because you finally said, stop with your crazy making behavior then you're mm. the one who's bad. And I'm like, mm. wow. That's interesting. It's bad. It, it ultimately, a, 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 some, a toxic relationship it does, it, it does reinforce. We talked a little bit about this uh, on our last conversation. It reinforces badness. You used an yeah. interesting word. You said debt. So the second, um, the second definition that I'm looking at, it relates to money. Mm. Uh, denoting or relating to debt, which is a, has a high risk of default. Right. Uh, there's an indebtedness that comes in toxic relationships. Yes. Feeling of obligation, like I'm always coming up short. Uh, I, I haven't done enough um, and I need to do more. I think that, that that's very common. So this, this idea of debt, I thought that you mentioned that. I thought I would, would mention that. So, so this yeah. is kind of a, like, so this breaking the bone idea, <laughs> um, this is where it came from. Actually, my, my daughter and I have a longstanding disagreement uh, about this. So I can give, great advice. I don't always take it, but I give amazing <laughs> advice. Uh, and my, my daughter, uh, she was about 13. No, well, maybe, yeah, I guess about 12, 13. And we have uh, some friends of ours who are like family. Um, the reason we moved to Oregon, I mean, I've known her, uh, the, the father in this family since I was 10 years old. He was my brother's best friend in junior high school. And we, we've remained family. And so th- they had a daughter. They were born three weeks apart. And, uh, and they were, they grew up together. We, we live a mile from each other and they grew up together and they were, it was love. Right. And we were just all so thrilled. Isn't it great that our daughters know each other and love each other. This is just wonderful. But, but Olivia's, uh, tends to be kind of a, that's Olivia's my daughter. She's very open, open hearted, very trusting, extremely vulnerable person. And the other, the other, uh, girl, not so much. She is very, uh, always stubborn and controlling and uh, demanding and, um, you know, was one of those people who was like, a, you know, a, a stubborn 30-year-old at eight, you know, just, just, just really tough. And so what happened was that 
the relationship started to the, my, my daughter was madly in love with her. Right. I mean, and she was an only child. So it was reinforced like, this is my sister. And, and, and the other girl started to really pull away and stopped returning her texts. And, mm. and when she would see her, she would just be, you know, ignore her, or, you know, she would come over to the house and she would pretend like she wasn't interested. And, it was but just she came over to the house still though. Yeah, just came over to our house. Like if she would come over with her their family to drop something off or oh. and Olivia would be like, Hi. And the other girl would be like, Yeah, what a hi, yeah. And, and it was it was it was tearing Olivia up, you know. Yeah. And this was going on and she and then she would say, hey, I, so I would encourage Olivia, hey, you know, tell her how you're feeling and try to express this to her. And she tried and there was absolutely no response and no interest in processing anything. Um, so we gave our daughter a lot of feeling skills, not a lot of that going on on the other side. Right. Right. So, so finally she was just torn to shreds about it. I mean, sobbing in her room. And I, I, this is when I first thought about breaking the bone on the relationship. I said, I, I think you, you, you tried everything that you can do to try to communicate with her. I think mm -hmm. you need to break the bone on this relationship. Um, Ooh, okay. And, and it was, it was one of these things where, it was affecting her at school. I mean, it was the, I said, I think you need to, to, to end this relationship. I think, and, and it's painful. And, and, but this is, I think you need to break the bone. And part of one of the conditions, one of the, this is again, a, the contour of a toxic relationship was Olivia felt like there was a very, a lot of competition. So Olivia mm. was not a, not a cheerleader type, but she was, you know, tried out for cheerleading and she was doing all these things that her other friend was doing. And that was kind of the mandate of the relationship. You will be like me. Or I will reject you. And, ah, right. You you'll do the things and that us I do. Our you, little codependents step right up to make narcissists happy, don't we? Yeah, we really we do. It's a really deny ourselves and 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 make ourselves small so that mm. they feel big. Yeah, exactly. And and it's always kind of a you know it's a dictatorial kind of relationship. Mm -hmm. and, and Olivia had and, and what I was saying was you have to get your power back. She has all of your power. You've given mm -hmm. all of your power away. You trusted her. And now you have no power in the relationship. You have to take it back and you have to break the bone on it. And so Olivia, and that was the last I had said. So she went and found a picture of them and she tore it up. She tore it in half and then put it on her bed and took a photo of it on her phone and sent it to her saying, you've hurt me. This is how I feel about our relationship. You've hurt me. I, we can't be friends anymore. Hmm. And before I get to the punchline, so after that, Olivia ended up coming into her own. She stopped doing the cheerleading and the makeup and the hair straightening and all these things. That, and she started to come into her own and she started singing and she started performing and she started really blossoming. Right? So, so that, that's like, it was a really good case study for what, ha what the, the toxic relationship, the codependent relationship keeps us limited. It keeps us yes. from being authentically ourselves. Yes. And, and now they're not friends anymore. And, and it's, you know, 15, 16 years later. And, and Olivia says to me, you know, that was bad advice. Um, she, she says, you know, that, that was wrong. That was the wrong thing to do. Hmm. And, and I stand by it and will go to my grave saying, no, um, it, well, you did exactly the right thing because in, because in, in the breaking of the bone and, and it's painful and it makes us snap, it hurts. Right. But in the breaking of the bone, when, the, the certainty that that one gains when says, "Okay, I'm willing to I'm willing to break this. I'm not going to accommodate this at all anymore. It's a right. it's a radical breaking." So when the bone broke, her, her own power, her own authenticity began to flow into her, 
And that was when I first recognized, wow, I should probably start taking some of my own advice. Right. <laughs> but I watched what happened. And so I, I've been doing that lately and it's been, it's, it creates a lot of anxiety in the moment. It does. Oh my God, it does. Yeah. The anxiety will kill you. I mean, I've, I know that you live through it because I've lived through these enough now and you know that you're going to, that things are going to be better and that historically you always come out better in the end. I mean, every single time I've been involved with someone who is like that, I end up doing, I said this to my therapist the other day, you know, I always come out on top here. I always have learned something, mm. I learn a new skill or I, or some other thing happens. And then the relief of it, of, of that relationship anymore is another um, awakening for me and another thing that sets me free to fly even, even more. Right. Which is kind of what you said, you know, with Olivia and, right. uh, but I, when I look back, not that I care because I, I, when I'm done, I'm, I'm done, but I, mm. I have looked back to times at some of the people that I was involved in that were very narcissistic and really trying to just do what they do with anybody, really bleed your soul out because that's what they do. Um, and none mm -hmm. of them ever did these grandiose things that they came up with. None of them. They're still, you know, doing whatever. And yet I've done set up a network and created this thing and doing this and doing this. And I'm, I don't do that to go, ha, ha, ha. It's not like that. It's more like, huh, well, that's interesting. Um, I've learned something and grow, but I think that's a measure of how even a codependent person and someone maybe who isn't codependent, but because we're all subject to running into these kind of people. But I think it's a measure of how people that are able to grow and evolve, we will go on and do better things in our lives and stuff because we are capable of evolving. And yes. those kind of people aren't. So they stay stuck in that no. same time loop. And they talk about the same things. I'm mean, someone that all they can talk about is stuff that they did three years ago that somebody else ha handed to them on a platter and they can't stop talking about it. And no matter how many people say, maybe you should move on from that and try something else. And they just can't stop. They just won't stop talking about it. Yeah. Um, I, I had an interesting recently, um, I had worked on a campaign with, with someone um, who was, called the mad as hell doctors and we did it together and I kind of handled the creative end of it. And he, he was a campaign manager and he handled the campaign end of it. It was very successful. Um, and he was my racquetball partner and, and I, it was weird because I actually never really liked him, you know? Um, <laughs> but, but you know, there, there was this, well, I, I wanted to play racquetball and he was a racquetball partner and we had politics in common. We had all, we had a lot in common, but, I actually never really liked him. And, and, you know, my wife, Nancy was always like, hmm, I'm wondering about that. You know, you <laughs> often come away feeling badly about yourself, you know? Right. So, but I stayed in it for years. And then I was emceeing an event uh, about uh, single pair, which is what the Mattis Hell Doctors Tour was all about here in Oregon. And I, I, I got hired to emcee this event. And uh, some of the doctors that had been on tour with us, uh, we, you know, we'd taken them around across the country talking about single pair, we're at this event and there's this warm, nostalgic feeling, uh, you know, between us. And so as MC, I said, hey, well, all the doctors who were on tour stand up and, you know, the, we reminisced and, you know, it was this kind of a signature campaign out of Oregon and everybody was proud of it, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, the next, the ne and I get, they give me some kind of little thank you statue, you know, mm -hmm. say, thanks for MCing, Adam. Thanks for being you. We think you're great. So 
the next day from this person, I get a text saying, well, I hear that you are the only one who did the Mad as Hell Doctors campaign. Congratulations. And that was from this guy. <laughs> and, I, and I said to him, you should call me. This, this, I think you misunderstand. You should call me. This, could, this is potentially really dangerous and to our relationship mm-hmm. and me doing the work, right? Yeah. And he didn't. And I knew he was there because he just texted me. And I texted him right back and he didn't get back to me. So I called him and he didn't pick up. Of course, they always go ghost on you when you right <laughs> because because it's, well, it's a really cowardly thing to do, right? Yes, it is. It's super cowardly. Like you don't want to really have this conversation. You just want to take a shot at me. So it was an interesting trajectory. So I I started to feel like oh, I've done something bad. It's me. I'm bad. Right. I, you know. I'm. I and I realized. Well, wait a minute. No, I didn't. I, but kick down. No, I didn't. And then I thought about it. And I sent him a text. I said, actually, I don't want to talk to you about this. Um, anybody who would come at me without, without, like that in a way that wouldn't allow me to at least explain myself and come and ask me the question, hey, I heard this. Is this true that you were out there taking credit for our work, which I wasn't? Um, anybody who wouldn't at least give me an opportunity to explain is no friend of mine. And, I, and, and in the text, because he wouldn't talk, I said, I don't want to be friends anymore. And, uh, and I caught him out and I have not spoken with him since this was two years ago, a year and a half ago. And then about two months ago, he sent me, oh no, a month ago, he sent me an email saying, not, I'm sorry, not, Hey, that was bad. Just, just, Hey, I've been thinking about this new political thing. And I'm wondering if you would get together with for coffee and maybe rekindle our friendship. Let me, this was the key. Here was the hook. Let me know either way. And I went home. Oh. Let me know either way. Well, and of course, being a good little codependent, I said, well, let me write him right away and tell him how I'm feeling that I don't want to be his friend anymore. <laughs> right. Right. I'm going yeah. to write. Like and I was, mid- I was midway through it and I went, wait a minute. <laughs> if you don't want to be his friend anymore, just don't write him back. He'll get it. Right. right. <laughs> but but that subtle little hook of like, let me know either way. You see, the, where I'm going with this is this idea of, uh, the key, I think, to staying out of toxic relationships is looking at the early signs, looking at looking at the ways in which we're being manipulated. And I was able to see it in that moment, but I wasn't sure. So I call I called my wife, and I said, "Nancy, does this make?" She, she's like, "Well, why would you? Right. <laughs> you're going to write him and tell him you don't want to be his friend. <laughs> if you don't want to be friends with him, just don't write him." I know. It's so easy to. <laughs> it's like a, but 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 in a codependent brain, in in someone who does tend to attract both really healthy i have some marvel oh, i have many marvelous healthy like relationships yeah, i meet these people and i'm like wow oh my gosh these people are amazing incredible and i think and, of our relationship is like wow yes, i look at exactly. look at look at who i attracted look who was yep. attracted to me that that's because that's my there's one aspect of me where my vibration is really high exactly other vibration where where i'm and that's what i mean if it's in there my life i'm attracting it so yes. if those people are showing up, um, it's because I'm still unresolved about it. And they probably always will because, like you said, if you grow up with narcissists yep. and you're wounded in that way, yep. um, it don't, you don't ever fully resolve it, right? It's just when you think you've resolved it, that's when the next big challenge is going to come your way. Oh, I've, exactly. That, <laughs> exactly. That's what I've learned too. It's like I used to say, even on this show, 
I used to say very early in the stages of, of realizing what narcissistic relationships are, I would say, oh, well, I've, I've now have dealt with it. I will never have someone like that in my life again. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Oh, do I have them in my bed or as a partner or, at, or as a, you know, no, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't have them in that way, but I will, as I kind of evolve, and maybe this is just part of being a human being, I don't know, but I, um, I will go, God, who is hiding out that I haven't picked up on yet, or I, I'm not listening to the signs yet, that's already here in my life, that's really narcissistic. And I'm like, God, I hate that. I'm not afraid of it anymore, but I do look at it like, ugh, because they're always painful endings. They're painful endings for us. Right, right. I, I, that's a really good point. Like, don't even get involved when I see it. Now it's, well, this is only going to end badly, right? If I, if, I choose to, if I choose to accommodate, right? Accommodations are always toxic. So when I say accommodate, I mean, I, I put my own needs aside and your needs have, the needs of the other have primacy, right? That's what narcissists say. I'm the most important one. Yes. And, and, then we, and then they have systems that you need to accommodate in order to maintain it. That, like, a good example is I keep talking about the same thing over and over again, the same achievement. The, you know, I need you to, to bolster me in this way. And there's never enough. There's never enough that you, you can throw into that system. Um, the, the point of the system is it's a circulatory system. You keep putting it in and I'll keep taking it. <laughs> right. And that's the, that's the agree. That, that's uh, the but but to, to, to when I to see it, and I still don't do it, but to see it early and then have there be just an absolute flat refusal to participate in that relationship. Like that's, mm. that would be a, a great resolution for me. I often recognize too late. We, yeah, but sometimes we do. That's what's funny. I, I always think it's like special medicine designed just for you because I can run into someone who's a completely narcissistic and whatever way they put out their narcissistic juju doesn't, it's not a wound that I have, so I can easily go, Right. I'm out. And then other ones get their hooks in because there's some, what my friend Christine Louis de Cannonville calls co-narcissism there. They're oh, I love that. Talk more yeah. about that. That's super interesting. <laughs> yeah. She wrote a book called Shame Begets Shame. And I... Mm. And this other woman, Andrea Schneider, who's my very, very good friend. She's a podcaster on the network as well. And, um, and, a, and a friend of ours, Michelle Mallon, we all write to each other. And Christine, we all write to each other. And when she first said, I'm writing this second book of mine on narcissism, but it's going to be about co-narcissism, kind of all of us were like, what do you mean? Yeah. We're not the narcissists. We're not the bad ones. And got very defensive. And then as I read it and I got into it and I started noticing patterns, I was like, oh, I understand what that means. Um, I understand what it means now because they are peaking. They know how to dig up our wounds, which narcissism is a reaction to wounds. I mean, it, yep. it just, it just oh, yeah, is. Absolutely. And so they, they smell a little familiar and it could be because they smell familiar because it's your parents and that's an unresolved issue with your parents. Or it could be that it's your own narcissism. Doesn't mean that you're a narcissist and you have personality disorder, but we all have it to some degree. Right. Because I think it's a natural defense against pain. Yes, absolutely. Oh God. A natural defense. That's a meme right there. Narcissism yeah. is a natural defense against pain. That's absolutely true. So right. I started looking at that differently. Like, okay, okay, got it. This is how I participate in these, 
and these relationships, they're, they're reminding me of earlier relationships that still have some issues to work around or they're tickling my own narcissism that I need to look at in myself. You know, we haven't talked about it, but you just used the word that I think that, that I, I'm surprised I left out of it because I struggle with it. I think, you know, the toxic, right, the toxic substance that gets transmitted in narcissistic relationships when I play the role of the, the codependent or even when, when I have been in the past in the role of the, of the narcissist when I was younger, certainly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is, age-appropriate it, it, narcissism. It's, yeah. it's shame. It's a defense not just against pain. It's a defense against shame. Right. Um, and and it, it creates feelings of shame. And I think that that's, it, it engenders, it, it kicks up my own shame. And I think it's it's my own unresolved shame that continues to attract um, those toxic and yeah, create. And they come in as a gift, actually. They're there as a gift to help you work through that. It's yeah, just, and I, I guess the refusal. Like gift. Yeah, the refusal to participate in it, um, like like letting certain relationships go. Uh, you know, I won't get tell yet another story. I love to tell stories, but you know, I recently <laughs> was with a friend and and someone I thought was a friend, and my wife Nancy's old. There's this part of me that she calls it the 7-Eleven Adam. You know, like when I was a kid, I used to like, you know, I did a lot of drugs and I'd hang out at 7-Eleven and I always kind of hung out in a, there's a seedy side of me, right? This dark kind of side that, that I've always had, right? And, and, and that was, you know, a function of neglect, right? I mean, yes. I, nobody was paying attention. So I was hanging out doing drugs and hanging out at 7-Eleven. Um, <laughs> and I still go to 7-Eleven. You know, I get coffee there and she's like, hey, what? You love 7-Eleven, you know, I loved 7-Eleven. So anyway, um, he was kind of a 7-Eleven buddy. And Nancy was always like, I don't know what he brings to your life, you know. And, and then I went over and, and he, st- not only was he kind of just shaming me all night about every choice that I had made from my car to, you know, some idea that I had or whatever it was. It was it, it, he was hostile. I think he wanted more of me than I was giving to him at this point yes. in my life. Yeah. And he was they angry. Need blood. They need yeah. blood and you weren't yeah. giving him enough. Yeah. And he was pissed. And, he, and he, I don't even think he was tracking it. And then finally, he had, there was a friend of mine. We have a friend in common, a friend of mine that he met that he didn't like. And he started to say some really awful things about him. And, uh, and, and I, I drove home with a really awful feeling, right? And, uh, and then I said, oh, I know why I feel awful. I let him, not only is, was this just a bad night, uh, I, he said some terrible things about, about someone I love. Right. And I didn't stop him. And so the next morning I, I got on the phone and I said, you know, you, you can't ever talk that way about that person again because I love him and he's a friend of mine for 15 years and I would be a lousy friend to him and a lousy, if he talked that way about you, I'd be a lousy friend to you mm-hmm. if I didn't say something. So you can't ever, ever. And he was like, okay, I get it. I'm like, no, you don't get it. Like you, you think it's casual. That, that was, that was out of bounds forever. And I have not spoken with him since. Um, And, and that was a way for me of breaking the bone in the past. I might, I might have, because I felt obligated to him, I might not have said what I said. Uh, And so the, the, I think health breaking the bone is about claiming one's power from the toxic relationship. I didn't know that's what I was doing, but as soon as I stood up and said, you can't do that, I was out. I was out the door. I got, I had my power back. Why would I go back in? I, yeah, right? I, I, I've done that too. And the only thing I can carry with me and I'm working on it, it's much less than it used to be is when I finally have had enough, 
right. um, and I and I say this is enough, and inevitably because these people don't like to hear no, you can't tell. I mean, they're created. I mean, it's a family system of not you know of letting these people. Um, you know, cleaning up after their messes constantly, not making them stand up and have to clean up their own messes. I mean, you know, the, these people are created, you know, I don't know that they're, if they're a sociopath, maybe they're born, but, but what I find f interesting is I will feel really guilty for finally doing the, the final no, because you can say no a million ways and a narcissist goes, oh, that's yeah, right. Let me, let me now ram into you because you have a boundary. But then when I finally have had it and I'm just like, I'm done. And, yeah. you know, usually it's an email or it's a conversation because, you know, saying this is over. Then it's because they're so good at being the victim. Mm. They're, they're, they're victimized by your horribleness and. Yeah, how you know, could you? And how, you know, blah, blah, blah. And you're like wait a minute, wait a minute. How much money have I spent? How much have I supported you? How much, uh, how much have you ticked off all these other people that I brought into your life? You know, there's all right. these things that right. clearly show, but they don't see any of that at all. They don't appreciate any, any of that because like you had said earlier, you're just a commodity. Yeah, and you're going to find another yourself. commodity. Yeah. And whatever they got out of you, I'm really good at, okay, I've done a lot for you, maybe even in business. And now I'm out. I'm done. And I take my resources with me. Good luck. You know, good, not, not, not in a bad way. Just like I'm done. I put my attention there and, and now I'm, and now I'm gone and you go, you need to go find somebody else to get those um, hmm. types of resources from because they come with me. And, um, and it's, it's interesting how that happens and how you are then made out to be the bad guy in it and how we will feel guilty about that because we, we run on the codependent side. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm just thinking about some relationships right now, some business relationships in which, which I, I, I set it up um, mm -hmm. and um, doing some work and, and offering and, and doing some work for people and offering it for free because, you know, I'm building something and, and, and then it, and then free became okay. It was weird. It's kind of hard to, uh, the remnant of guilt is, is, is really important to, for me to consider right now too, because I'm kind of in that. I, so I offered some work to people for free and as a way to help build my resume in terms of what, what I'm, this new adventure that I'm doing. And, mm -hmm. and at a certain point, it, it became too much. I, it wasn't working for me. I had kind of gotten out, out of it what I needed, which was right. that component of it. And it was, so I went to them and said, look, I, I really just need you to cover my hard costs. I, I can't go out of pocket. Right. Um, and they got really, what? Right. And they're like, how dare you? Right. And, and I realized, and then I, and I, I started to feel guilty. Like, well, you know, well, we were using each other. You know, I was using you to help build my resume. I think that was clear. I made that clear. It wasn't like I didn't. But as I start to withdraw, I mean, I'm right in a place with one particular client where, where I've been doing lots of good work for them. I asked them just to cover the hard costs now that we were, this is the next stage of the relationship. You need to, if you like this, you need to cover my hard costs at the very least. And uh, there's been absolutely no response. And the expectation is, okay, so now we're going to do the work this week. And I'm, I'm confronted with this feeling of, you know, do I need to break the bone on this and say, well, no, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do this because, 
I have already set out the, the new conditions and you haven't responded. But I guess where I'm going with it was, was you were saying, I feel kind of guilty. Right. Uh, you know, and, and, and I think that that's the nature of the codependent thing. I've been in relationships where I've given a lot to people for, to, for free or to, right. and they, they still end up feeling cheated. Right? <laughs> and they still have feel, and I and I have to again. I have to own that and say, well, that's got to be a function of me coming in and overpromising, mm-hmm. um, you know, and me coming and saying, oh, I'll do all these wonderful things, and then and then getting midway through it and saying to myself, well, that this doesn't feel good anymore, and then going and trying to change the initial conditions of the relationship, which which never works, right? You know, like when you yeah. do uh, uh, when when physicists do a math equation or, you know, they're solving for a problem. They have to set out the initial condition and, and then they can't midway through say, Oh, this, this equation isn't working. I'm going to go back and change the initial conditions. Right. They have to scrap the equation and set up new initial conditions. Right. Yep. Um, and I think that, that that's what I'm trying to do in my life is get ahead of it. What, what are the, like, I just did it by giving away free. That wasn't, Better to have no clients that aren't paying than right. three clients that aren't paying. Right? I so, get it. I get that too. Like I've done a lot of free. I put people on this network for free, mm-hmm. and you know, and and you know, I've, that's not been a bad decision on my part. It, it right. was to help and to build this up and to be able to be a bigger player in a market that didn't doesn't know what to do with podcasting. It's just starting to figure it out. You know, all those things that you do. Right. And because I wanted their voices to be heard, I've never had any of those people that I did that for uh, that are still, you know, continuing be a bad idea. They're wonderful members of the team and they help in other ways. But I have done that with a few that, turn out to, you know, not appreciate it, take advantage, don't do what they say they're going to do. I have to, you know, just all that stuff. But, and I kind of look at it like, I guess where I'm going with this is I'm getting to a place where I'm not going to shame myself for getting into these kinds of relationships Mm, because they, they come with gifts just like anything else. Everybody, every single person has relationships that go bad, go south, um, right. whether they're new or old ones. I mean, everybody, everybody has that. This is normal. This is completely normal. The part that isn't normal about it have, has been the years that I shamed myself for getting in them. And some of that too is people are well-meaning, your friends, and they're like, here you are in another one of those things. You know, you when are you going to learn? And right. I'm like, don't point the shame figure at me. Weren't you just calling me last week about one of these kinds of relationships of your own? <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Right, as if, they, they, as if they don't do it. But exactly. I think that's really helpful. Uh, that really helps me like today, Kristen. Um, to not, that there's a habitual reaction to it, this feeling of, I'm coming away from the, because, I, because of their reaction, which I should not have been surprised at, but I right. was. Right, right. Um, uh, I, I feel it triggers my own sense of shame, my own sense of badness. Like, oh yeah, I, I, I did it wrong. I set it up wrong. Uh, and what I hear you saying is don't do that. Don't, yeah. don't come away from that. You offered what you offered. Mm-hmm. It was mutually beneficial when it stopped being mutually beneficial. You said this isn't mutually beneficial anymore. Right. And uh, if they have a problem with that, that is, um, their really, problem. Oh, that's not a, uh, that's not an opportunity to heap 
badness upon myself. Um, that really helps me like this morning. So thank it's you. Like fear and fear and self-loathing. We don't need to take that on. <laughs> fear and self-loathing in Las Vegas. <laughs> fear and self-loathing in narcissistic relationships. I love yeah. it. That's just Yeah, great. we don't need to. And it doesn't matter. I mean, I've, I, I know too that I have found myself explaining to either the narcissist themselves or the co-narcissists in their lives, which are their enablers. And I'm explaining how grown-ups behave to people who are by all rights grown-ups. And I'm like, that's when I realize, okay, you're having to explain <laughs> what is normal, healthy, yeah, adult right, right. way to behave to someone who really should know better. Um, I'm out. Right? I'm it's out. Like, I'm yeah, done. Like, and whatever... If it's if it's a family or a family system or a group of friends, you know, you know that they're and it's that kind of a toxic environment where there's addiction present and all kinds of stuff, and and they're not going to get well because they're invested in this story of their right. lives. There, they will lash out and look for a scapegoat, and boy, do you not want that to be you? Well, one and one of the techniques that I think you know. I mean, I'm hoping that what, hopefully people are listening to this going, yeah, yeah, I'm going to get that person out of my life. But <laughs> one of the, one of the, break the bone. Uh, one of the techniques that I, that narcissists use is, is something I call sending the three-year-old to meet the tax collector. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Like, is it, right? They, I didn't pay my taxes. I was really busy and I'm sorry. And I didn't have the money when the time came to, you know, the IRS really doesn't care. No, they don't. Um, it, like, and whatever. it's a kind of a, a way of talking about accountability when it's time to be accountable to their behavior and you, you ask them to be accountable. They, they dissemble and, and, you know, oh, you hurt me, you know, mm -hmm. and, and it's really just a tactic. Yes. Um, and, and that, and, and because they sense the bone, it's going to break. And, yeah. and, well, and they also sense that you now see them for what they really are, not what they, what, not their persona. And they don't like that. They can't, they're so invested in that persona that when you really see them it, or it doesn't work anymore, they're, they're whatever it is they do just doesn't work anymore. They yeah. want to be far they act like you have a disease at that point and, and that could be painful. But the reality is you do have a disease. It's called truth glasses and they don't yeah. want anything to do with it. <laughs> you don't want, no, right. When you finally kind of disentangle yourself from all the mm -hmm. codependent obligation. Mm -hmm. um, what I found, my mother uh, was, was a wonderful person and funny and, and intelligent and great. And I loved her and I loved hanging out with her. She was a really fun person. Uh, and she she was also like the most wonderful person and also the most destructive person I'd ever known. <laughs> and when she turned, man, it was forget it. You know, it, it she would destroy everything within reach and beyond. Uh, and but but there was a I remember one night. You know, there were lots of horror. She acted horribly one evening and and publicly around my father and a big event, and it was really awful. Mm. And and I kind of really challenged her all the way down to the core. And when I got there, I looked and I thought, "Wow, there's nobody here." And I think that that's a, that the narcissistic structures yeah. are are there in place of a sense of worth, in yeah. place of a sense of health and well-being. There's no integrity at the core. 
uh, they've been breached at the core. And it sometimes gives me mm -hmm. compassion when I can see that. The, the narcissistic wound is, is a breach of the core. Yes. And there, there's no core, in, no integrity to the core. And so you build up these, these facades to defend this broken core. Right. And uh, sometimes that, that helps me, A, have compassion for, but also be really clear that, that that's not, that I, don't, I, I can't help them with that. I, yeah. You know. I, I go back down to earth once, once I, once I f finally figure out this is, what's, this is what's going on here, then I immediately strip away any of the buildup that I've given them which is another way of enabling them. And they have a lot of people that do that, but I immediately go immediately to earth. And, and that's my issue to deal with. Why do I build these people up? Well, they come at you wounded and oh, no one, no one believes in me and you're the only one and blah, blah, blah. And oh my God, bleeding heart. Let me help you wounded person, you know? Um, but when mm. I figure it out, I, I do that. I just go, okay, I'm now choosing to come to earth and live on earth. I'm not going to go to Fantasy Island with them anymore, no. and um, and yeah, I, I do. I do have a measure of compassion, absolutely. But I do it. But at that point, it's I have compassion for you over there. You're not in my right. life anymore. No, the, the, There's no the tick that that was sucking off of one of my veins has now been detached. I took the match. He's gone. <laughs> And, right. and I squished my blood out of the tick because uh, you don't get to take that with you. And That's my so, blood. Thank you very much. Exactly. I'll, exactly. And, you know, good luck on your way. Like, absolutely, you know, good luck on, on your way. I used to want to retaliate. Absolutely. Oh, really? Yeah. And I needed to do that because I needed to finally stand up for myself. And boy, nothing right. like some narcissists in your life to teach you. Are you going to, are you really going to stand up for yourself? So I did that. Now I don't, I don't need to retaliate anymore. I'm just like, okay, figured this out. Got it. We'll be right. more aware of it next time. Uh, thanks for the new version of narcissism that I hadn't seen yet. And, and goodbye and good luck. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I've, I've kind of struggled with this. It, that brings up a really interesting point about the dynamic. Um, you know, you're obviously a very nurturing person. I'm the same way. I, I really like to nurture people. It's just mm -hmm. my nature. And I think that narcissists are looking for nurturers. Oh my God! Yes. And, right. That's that's the agreement. They're right? looking for I, they're looking for a breast. Right. I have an empty space that needs to be filled, <laughs> yes. and uh, and and will you help me fill it? And in exchange for that, I'll make you feel important and special to me. Yes, yes, right? yes absolutely. And, and, and that's when the codependent system kicks in. Right? So at that point, I'm compensating as well. So I did this a lot when I was younger in my 20s. I would get a sense of my own esteem from, oh, what a great nurturing guy I am. Yep. You know, so, 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 but that's what locks the system in place. Absolutely. And, and so how, and, and so it was all, it was for years, it was very confounding for me to try to figure out like, how is this natural inclination to nurture? Is that just a purely codependent impulse? No. Um, you know, and, and, and no, you know, that there has to be, you know, there, there was a point at which, um, uh, you know, every marriage hits a point where like, hey, we might not make it. And, and you know, my daughter was about seven or eight. And we were like, well, maybe we should, should do this anymore. We made it through. We're still married. Um, but, you know, you hit that point and, and it got really bad. It was like, okay, this might actually really happen. 
And one of the things that I recognized was it, it wasn't, I wasn't going to miss being loved. I was going to miss loving them, right? I was going yes. to miss making the breakfasts and, and, yep. and, and nurturing them. Is that, that's my nature, right? It's just, it's what I do. And, and I, when I was started to learn about codependence, it was really hard for me to try to navigate the distinction between my natural impulse to nurture, which I think many people on the codependent side have that natural inclination, Absolutely. and trying to understand the point at which that becomes part of the toxic agreement. Yes. Oh, so well. That's, that's a hard line to walk. <laughs> it is. And we're definitely having a part two on this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so much to uncover. Yeah, this is great. Oh, all right. Listeners, this was... Adam Klugman, he's been on our show before. Adam, tell our listeners where they can find out more about you. There is nowhere that you can find out. I know if you want to find out more. (laughs) If you find something, let me know. No, if people want to know more about me, you can go to adamklugman.com and see some of this work that I do uh, as a professional speaker. I also have, we have a really cool podcast studio and a video cast studio, webcast studio called uh, the studio at North Rim. So you can go to the North Rim Studios and check that out. That's really cool. If you're listening and you're in Portland and you want to do a podcast or a webcast, uh, we do some really cool shows and we would love to, to talk to you about that. So that's another place people can go. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. <laughs> we'll have a part two. We'll have an ado. And yeah. listeners, thanks for joining us for another episode of Mental Health News Radio. I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous, and they're just good people. And also MyGenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, CopeNotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. Sometimes I'm passive aggressive, but never without good intentions. I heat up and act on my emotions. Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all, we promised we'd be cordial. Sometimes in you, I can fight it. Good boy.